0: Leviticus 21, these are God's words. And Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, None shall defile himself for the dead among his people, except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother, also his virgin sister who is near to him, who has had no husband. For her he may defile himself. Otherwise he shall not defile himself, Being a chief man among his people to profane himself, they shall not make any bald place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards or make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the offerings of God made by fire and the bread of their God. Therefore they shall be holy. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. Therefore you shall consecrate him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, Yahweh, who sanctify you, am holy. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. He who is the high priest among his brethren, on his head the anointing oil was poured, and who is consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes. Nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am Yahweh, and he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman or a defiled woman or a harlot. These he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. Nor shall he profane his posterity among his people, for I, Yahweh, sanctify him. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron, saying, A man of your descendants and succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame or who has a marred face or any limb too long. A man who has a broken foot or a broken hand or is a hunchback or a dwarf. Or a man who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scab or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to Yahweh. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I, Yahweh, sanctify them. And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons, and to all the children of Israel. Amen. This ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. <coughs> we are separated by some 1,500 Uh, Or so, a little bit more than that, uh, now years, Uh, and uh, by a new covenant under uh, and in the Lord Jesus rather than uh, under Moses, administered by Moses, and under high priests from Aaron and down through his line, we are separated from the world of Leviticus. Uh, In fact, we are separated even more from the world of Leviticus by the weakness of the church in our days. Uh, even today, there are in many places those uh, who are observing uh, a feast of the nativity, a, a feast that uh, the Lord did not institute. It's nothing that he commanded in his worship or, uh, or asked us to do. Uh, and therefore, there is not this awareness that God himself has commanded the worship we bring, that God has given himself to us. And that when we come by the worship that he has given uh, to us, by which to come to him, that he gives himself to us. And so we're very disconnected from the world of Leviticus, and uh, it, it may be easy for us then to bog down in all of these uh, odd-sounding details that just seem so strange to us in our ears being both culturally and even sadly, theologically and spiritually removed uh, from Leviticus and the worship and the God of that worship. (coughs) So I think it's helpful for us to remember that we're still in that big middle section of Leviticus that is occasioned by what happens when Nadab and Abihu come. And on the first full day of their priesthood, you remember they... Uh, they were consecrated for seven days, and then they came on the eighth day. And uh, But on the first full day of their priesthood, they offered worship that God had not commanded. Uh, and suddenly there was an existential crisis for the tabernacle and for the priesthood. An existential crisis for the tabernacle, because now there were dead bodies in the tabernacle, and not just dead bodies, which would have bad en- been bad enough for the uncleanness of it, Uh, but those who had been executed for profaning the worship of God, treating it as common, treating it as if man could just invent things rather than the holy God giving us his holy things and atoning for us and cleansing us and bringing us near by means that he has appointed, which was the great theme of all those sacrifices in the first nine chapters. And so you remember at that time, Uh, the Lord by Moses gave very, uh, very clear, uh, explicit uh, instruction. Uh, It should not be uh, Aaron the father or Eleazar or Ithamar, the remaining brothers, but um, uncles who were uh, kind of nearest of kin who had not gone through the ordination and did not have to stay there. They should be the ones who would carry the bodies away uh the bodies incidentally that had been supernaturally burned because their their cloaks were still intact uh to to carry away the ashes um uh, of Nadab and the ashes of Abihu and uh, Aaron had to give not Aaron Moses had to give Aaron and his sons uh, instruction reminder uh not to grieve not to uncover their heads not to tear their clothes uh which Ordinarily, as we heard even uh, the last couple of weeks in uh, chapter 19 specifically, uncovering your head or tearing your clothes appropriate, but um, disfiguring your head with the shaving or cutting yourself, inappropriate worship or grieving as those who have no hope. Uh, But uh, as often happens when you you have uh, a moment of agony and people have come into a crisis, you really just have to give them the step-by-step, lead them through, stabilize uh, the situation. But it was in that context, you remember, back in chapter 10 and verse 10, that he highlighted that there's not just a, con- uh, a crisis for the tabernacle, that it needed to be cleansed, and praise God, he gives the way of re-cleansing it in chapter 16 in the Day of Atonement, but that it's a crisis for the line of the priests, because Aaron and his sons especially had this duty of distinguishing the holy from the common, or the unholy, and of distinguishing the clean from the unclean. And so in chapters 11 through 15, he gave them ways by which uh, the uh, ceremonial cleanliness of the people would be maintained so that the worship of God would not be profaned. And then from chapter 17 through not this chapter, but through the next chapter, he gives them Uh, how to preserve and safeguard the holy from the unholy. Uh, And seeing that big, broad picture then of the whole book of Leviticus, we can trace within that holy and common section an increasing consecration, an increasing intensity of consecration. In chapter 17, we had the sanctity of blood, something that goes even beyond even man, Uh, God giving uh giving other creatures to have their life in their blood and uh, and therefore the necessity that that blood be treated respectfully and rightly according to how God uh says to treat it blood also being used uh in the sacrifices that look forward to Jesus's shedding of his own blood and securing our new covenant with God in his own blood uh but even the animals then having the life in the blood uh the lord uh, has to prohibit us because uh, of how easily we corrupt any uh, anything he prohibits us uh, from uh, eating and drinking blood, lest we think that we are getting life from the life of the animal rather than the animal being unto us a means that God has provided uh, when God himself is our life, and so we had the sanctity uh, of blood and we had the sanctity of marriage uh in chapter 18 uh, something that is common to all peoples uh but then the sanctity of saints uh in chapter 19 uh and then the sanctity of the church and uh the duty then of all of these penalties when israel was both a state and a church and uh and these various excommunications and ex uh executions uh, that we heard about in last week's portion in chapter 20 and then we come this week to the sanctity, the consecration of God's worship itself. Uh, and then next week, Lord willing, Lord sparing us to one another in chapter two, uh, the sanctity, the holiness of those things that have been given over to God in the worship, that uh, which He not only has commanded us, but uh, in, uh, in His sustaining us by His grace, to give the worship that he has commanded, that which he has laid claim to and received and is consecrated as his. Well, we'll come to chapter 22, Lord willing, next week. But what we have before us then in chapter 21 is the sanctity or the consecration of the worship that is offered. And that doesn't immediately become apparent to us. Because as we go through verses 1 through 15, we see these rules for the priesthood and we see these rules... For the high priest, and we see them uh, connected uh, to the service of God. But then we come to what seems like a strange, <coughs> uh, a strange section to us in verses 16 through 24. Uh, and uh, we see the, the prohibition of uh, the quote unquote defective man. Uh, and yet, when we get there with the, the prohibition against the defective man, uh, offering the service, conducting uh, the service of the altar or the service of uh, of the table within the holy place, and uh, whether at the veil or at the altar, uh, we see that uh, the man is not defective in himself, in his value, or, or even in his own consecration to God. Uh, a, you know, the most, to use the language in our translation the most defective of Aaron's sons uh, still had a right to eat the most holy of the bread. Uh, and so there's no defectiveness in his value as a person or even his value or holiness as a priest. Uh, but it draws attention then to the fact that these defects are, are defects that inhibit the conduct of the worship itself. Uh, and that Leviticus 21 in what is given for the priesthood, what is given for the high priest himself, and then what is given for the holy place and the altar in that last section to which we were just referring, is really teaching us about the consecration, the sanctity of God's worship. And that because of the greatness of the worship that the priests were uh, were to engage in and lead, uh, and uh, that they were... To have a consecration that applied to their whole life, which as you can already begin to think and see, uh, is something that applies directly to the believers. Because now we have the great high priest Jesus, who said he consecrated himself in order that he might sanctify us. For the worship of God, for the enjoyment of God, for the beholding of God's glory, for entering into the fellowship of God. That language is from the high priestly prayer, uh, John John 17, where he says, uh, he consecrates himself. But he consecrates himself also so that we might come through him, even as we have just prayed uh, in the language of Hebrews 10, which talks about his once for all sacrifice, which um, by which he has sanctified us who come through the veil to God himself. So there's a, a brief summary and a road map. And let's come back now to those three headings, the priesthood, the high priest himself, and the holy place and the altar. And just fill in a few more de- details uh, in the passage. The priesthood, in verses 1 through 9, the very first thing he begins begin saying is, "None shall defile himself uh, for the dead among his people." Uh, this would; these are regulations then applying to who may attend to the dead bodies uh, of a loved one, and the reason for not defiling themselves, not attending to dead bodies, except for what we would call immediate family, uh, in verses two and three is because they are uh in their translation in verse 4 says chief men uh husbands or masters uh, among their people leaders um, within uh a home might be called uh this word and it's actually the same as the word Baal. uh but in this case it's it's just referring to the husband or the master and especially the hundred of the husband or the master who is under uh, under the Lord, and because of the the place of leadership, not just in households now, but in verse four, a chief man among his people, uh, because of the leadership that God had appointed for the priesthood uh, among the people and in the worship of God, uh, they could not afford to always be attending uh, upon the those who are deceased, taking care of the bodies of the deceased and defiling uh themselves. And so there's a guarding here uh, against uncleanness and there's also uh, a guarding here against that particular uncleanness that wasn't just attending to the body of the deceased as verses one through four are covering, but that wrong form of grieving that we had been uh, prohibited or seen God prohibit them uh, in chapter 19. And now we see here again repeated uh, in chapter f- or in verse five, they shall not make bold places in their heads or uh, shave the edges of their beards or make cuttings in their flesh. that is they are not to disfigure uh, either their head or their body uh, to convey their identity uh, as uh, as one who has been bereaved. The identity of a believer is not one who has been bereaved. The identity of a believer as one whom God has brought near to Himself. And therefore, you see the connection then. They shall be holy to their God, not profane the name of their God, for they offer the offerings. And we need to remember what these words mean. You Remember the words that are behind that. They bring near the brought near things of Yahweh, made by fire. And you remember all of these then, um, bringing near uh, by smokifying uh, unto God and how God has brought a people near himself. Not only has he put his tabernacle in the midst of them, not only has he indwelt that tabernacle with the expression of his glory, that's what they had at the end of the book of Exodus, remember, but they could not enter. And the marvel, the wonder, the grace, the generosity of the book of Levit- Leviticus It's not just that God has made His presence known among them, but He has given them a way of drawing near to Him that spoke of something that goes even beyond death. A drawing near to Him that is an ascension. (coughs) You remember, I hope, that that burnt offering word is actually just the verb for ascending. And so God has given His people to ascend to him and to have fellowship with him. And that that, that fellowship and, uh, in the language of, uh, or is remi- we're reminded of that fellowship in the mention of the bread there in verse 6. And so not only should they uh, be careful about the frequency with which they are willing to be defiled by attending to dead bodies, verse um, uh, verses uh, 1 through 4 or 2 through 4, no 1 through 4 uh, but they should especially follow that instruction that applies to all the people but how much more for the priesthood that they not grieve like the pagans grieve as those who have no hope because they have been consecrated as holy as the ones who administer drawing near to God and even ascending to God and in one of these ways of drawing near that has has been uh, given and fellowship with God as communicated to them in the bread. This too, as we think about uh not defiling ourselves with the wrong kind of grieving, the wrong kind of living, all of the perversions of all, our culture, all of those things that we heard about in the consecration of saints in verse 19, and how very much the culture around us has descended to be like the culture of the Canaanites that was uh that was around then uh, but it's not just uh that we would um that we would resist becoming filthy like they are certainly we ought to we uh, we don't want to be abhorred by God uh, or to corrupt and confuse ourselves being made in the image of God but there's something even greater here and that is that we have been given to draw near to God. Our creator has restored us to fellowship with himself. And not just Eden-level fellowship, if we can speak in that way, but in this wonderful Eden and heaven together, not just in the design of the tabernacle, but even in what's communicated to us in the offerings We have too high a privilege, too great a joy to indulge in things in our lives that are going to diminish from or detract from or make us unsuitable to come near and lay claim to the blessedness that is ours in the Lord. And how much more for us, for whom Jesus is the tabernacle and Jesus is the sacrifices the one in whom we come near and through whom we come every one of us, not just one man once a year, but all believers every week through the veil into the holy of holies where we don't come trembling that we might be struck dead, but with due reverence and awe yet also boldness and confidence because it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats that consecrated us to come in is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's even given us a sign by the washing of our bodies with pure water that doesn't just you know, qualify us by a ritual act that happened once a long time ago in our Christian life, but it actively continues to cleanse our hearts from an evil conscience so that we can come there in him with joy. And would we really... Would we really want to do anything that would compromise that? And so there's a guarding against uncleanness, especially then in marriage and family life, that applied to the priesthood in verses 1 through 9, that applies to all of us in the priesthood of all believers in the church. Uh, They were not to take a, a wife who was immoral, You see that the the wife was a harlot or a defiled woman or divorced from her husband. (coughs) Notice that the priests generally, they couldn't take a widow. There was nothing immoral about being widowed. And they could take a widow, but there is is a duty, a necessity of consecration of family life in the household. There's especially needful uh if uh, If you were a priest and you knew the regulations in leviticus twenty one and and God having helped by his spirit your dad to teach you uh what the the bible said what the uh what the the torah uh said uh you wouldn't just take it as a checklist yeah okay she's uh she's not a harlot she's not been defiled she's not been divorced okay she's good No, you'd be looking for a godly wife with whom you can have the sort of consecrated home life unto God and train up your children to be godly children by God's grace to them so that your home life would would enable and equip uh, your leading in the public worship of God's people. This is something that continues today, doesn't it? If, If we pay attention to the the qualifications of elders in First Timothy three and and Titus one, but it's something that applies to all of our households. We don't get to wipe our brow and say, "Phew! I'm glad I'm not a priest. I can marry whatever barely believing, you know, worldly girl I want, so long as you know we fall in hormones with one another." No, we don't do that. We say, I'm never more than six days away from entering heaven through the blood of Jesus. Lord, <laughs> work in and sanctify even now uh, a wife that, that I will marry one day and help me not to, to settle for anything less than a godly woman so that the life that we have together at home in our marriage and, and with our children will be something that prepares us to worship well in the public worship every Lord's Day. Not something from which we come barely having survived by the inexplicable mercy of God and then pretend our way through another service so that we may continue to, to be not just members in good standing, but in good esteem of others. No. The Lord connects the home table with the holy table in verse 8. Therefore you shall consecrate him. It's right between uh, the, the wife issues that are warned against in verse 7 and the daughter issues that are warned against in verse 9. Therefore you shall consecrate him for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you for I Yahweh who sanctify you am holy. And so we want to be uh, since we are all now in, in Christ and in the priesthood of all believers and they would have wanted to be holy in, in the breaking of bread in the home and then the breaking of the bread of God and the house of God, the tabernacle, the, the tent of meeting uh, as one of the names that God gave it. But we also now want holiness in our homes. Dear children, You should want God to give your dad uh, to be uh, such a husband, such a father, as he might call to the eldership one day. But then you yourself have increased incentive not to profane your own father like this daughter does in verse (coughs) 9. And the burning with fire, uh, the burning with fire, you remember, is one of those several different types of executions uh, that was commanded in chapter 20. Uh, Not one of them really uh, identifying a more heinous sin than the other, but the Lord Himself reminding them that He is the one who consecrates His people. He is the one who turns His face against the one who's being uh, excommunicated. He is the one who cuts them off and that church discipline or excommunication on earth is actually reflecting a reality that already exists from heaven. And how dreadful when that understanding from chapter 20 is understood behind verse 9, for this daughter of the priest, who did not take God's providence to her as a help unto holiness, but held lightly the fact that she was the daughter of a priest. And now not only, dear daughters, are you daughters and some of you in the household uh, of uh, an elder and daughters in households of potential elders, but if you've been paying attention, you've noticed, haven't you, that in Jesus, the great high priest, you have been consecrated for priestly service. This has not just opened it up beyond the sons of Aaron and beyond the Levites and beyond the Jews and to all the nations, but now a little girl in the public worship of God who comes through Jesus Christ and has had her body washed with pure water and her heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And she comes with confidence through the blood of Jesus. Every one of us must guard, mustn't we, the holiness of our life as those who need to be ready to worship. Well, that which is given for the priesthood generally in verse uh, 1 through 9 is heightened in verses 10 through 15 for the high priest. Uh, He, not even for his father or mother, could attend uh, to a dead body. Um, he was uh, not allowed even to uh, uncover his head or tear his clothes. Verse 10 uh, at the end there, which is an appropriate way of mourning, but you remember that head is the head that had the anointing oil poured out on it and on which sometimes that high priestly hat is put. And uh, yes, he does wear other clothes, praise God, and often the regular linen garment and uh, probably other garments as well when he's not in the tabernacle. Uh, and yet, uh, he is not to tear his clothes who wears those garments at other times on whose head the anointing oil was poured and who is consecrated to wear the garments, says verse 10. In other words, even in the way he grieves, he must remember that he has been consecrated as a high priest for God's people. And then he was not even permitted to marry a widow, uh, not because the, the widow was uh, unclean to some extent, but because there is a, a singleness of, uh, of devotion of the man. But especially, note verse 15, nor shall he profane his posterity. Among his people, you remember the high priest was also the father of all of the high priests who were to come. So first it would be Aaron, and and then each high priest, the the following high priest would be descended from him. And so he has to remember that he has not just been appointed for the glory of God and the good of God's people who are worshiping at that time, and will need him to especially perform the duties of the Day of Atonement but for all of the subsequent high priests, he has been appointed as the one through whom they would come. And so there were even uh, stricter or narrower regulations upon his marriage, which gives us to see how he would value what God was doing for his people and what he had been given, what he, the priest, uh, the high priest had been given in the privilege of his role in what God was doing for his people. And this is what our Lord Jesus does, isn't it? He does whatever is necessary. (coughs) Part of which, of course, was uh, taking to himself a human body and a reasonable soul. Uh, Psalm 40, we've been singing all month long. Praise God. And Jesus took that body to himself because all of those sacrifices in the Levitical system, they were about him. And he came, he humbled himself, he took the form of a bonsai slave, he was found in appearance as a man, and he offered perfect obedience his whole life long. Both, especially praise God, that he could be our righteousness. You know, children, Jesus never dishonored his parents once. And always obeyed his parents in exactly the right way. So that if you believe in him, not only does his cross take away your guilt for all the times that you haven't. But all of that obedience that he has done is counted for you because he is your righteousness. It's not even you know the sum total tabulation of all the righteous stuff he did. I used to hear it taught me that way when I was a kid. But Jesus himself is uh, is your righteousness. But Jesus also consecrated himself, lived obediently his whole life long because he was going to be the great high priest. And one day he would go to a cross where he hung between earth and heaven and the wrath of God was poured out on him. And his blood was shed and poured out of him. And so he lived a life preparing to do that priestly work. He consecrated himself, both in his intentions and in the whole life of his actions. Now, we have run a little bit long for an afternoon, so oh a sign to you, uh, to read John 17, and especially Hebrews chapter 10. Especially Hebrews chapter 10, and what Jesus was doing at the cross, because he wasn't just, just as if it's a small thing. Not only was he atoning for our sin and obtaining our forgiveness, he was consecrating us for the worship of God even especially for the assembling of ourselves together. You know, COVID years come and people really pay attention to Hebrews 10, verse 25. Praise God. But pay attention to the rest of it. Because the assembling of ourselves together and the way that we've been thinking about it several times already in this sermon was one of the primary reasons that Jesus shed His blood on the cross to consecrate us, to come there through him to offer that worship that he has commanded. Glorious priest, glorious sacrifice, and glorious blessedness and privilege for us that he obtained thereby. So let us respond to that sacrifice in part. By always living, especially in our homes, but in the whole of our lives, in such a way as we will wish we had when it comes time again to gather for the public worship of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you and praise you, Lord God, who have given yourself to us in your son by your spirit. We thank you and praise you, Lord Jesus, that you consecrated yourself in order to consecrate and sanctify us uh, for your worship. We pray, Lord, that you would make us to value that worship and prepare for it and delight in you who have brought us near. Give us to live our lives as those who are always uh, mindful that we are preparing again soon to gather to you. Thank you for having given us this day in which we have laid claim to the privilege. And we pray that you'd preserve us now in the rest of this week as we prepare either to claim it finally upon your return or in six days' time upon the return of this day. For we ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.